welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. The prophecies, like what happened, and um, it's just such a culture shock when we when we leave one environment to another, whatever that is, right? I mean, it might just be as simple as I left Germany and I came to England, and no one speaks German, right? I mean, that's a culture shock. Um, and so when we get absorbed into a culture like Kingsways, where people are super encouraging, positive, um, have a very um, grace-filled perspective, so they are quick to forgive, they love, they're generous, they're whatever it looks like, right? They're, they're slow to anger, they have plenty of mercy, all these incredible qualities. Um, it's, it's easy to get in our head, oh, that's, that's life. And then you really quickly realize when you leave and you get a regular job, working a job, and you realize, oh wow, my boss is really mean. He is not slow to anger, right? He is not extending me mercy, and I don't feel the love, right? And you suddenly realize, oh, I'm not sure how to apply all the things I learned in one environment in another, because it's actually a lot harder, much, much harder. Um, and so, I mean, it, it would be... I'll give you a silly example, right? But you might train to be a runner for a year, right? So you're doing sprints, you're doing marathons, you're training all the different disciplines of running. And if I then took you out onto a lake that had frozen over and said, all right, let's go, you'd very quickly realize that your training and running wasn't all that helpful in this environment because running on ice is a very different discipline, right? It's a completely different environment and you actually have to run in a very different way the way your foot is placed on that ice is really important. In fact, realistically, unless you put something else on your feet, you're really going to have a bad time most ways to do it, right? And so that can be how it feels sometimes. You know, you feel like you're suddenly trying to run on ice and you're falling on your face and it hurts and everyone's laughing or everyone's just not like you, right? Um, and so it can be quite a culture shock. And that's not to say this huge dose of negativity, you're going to have a bad time or anything like that, but you just need to be aware that life elsewhere is not the same as life here. In the same way that if you live in Germany, you're different from if you live in Ethiopia, which is different to if you live in America. Um, I mean, one of the biggest shocks for me coming back from America was that people aren't nice, typically by default. Like in America, everyone is friendly. Mm-hmm. You, you go shopping for clothes and someone will talk to you for half an hour and you're like, Maybe they're a salesperson trying to get me to buy clothes. No, no, it's just a random person who just decided to talk to you for half an hour because they're nice. And you're like, this is weird. This is really, really weird. But after four years, you get really used to it. And you, I'm an introvert and I'm talking to strangers in shops and, you know, like, it, it, it's bizarre. We used to play a game in America where we, we, had, we would try to get to the back of a shop and then out again without someone saying hello and talking to you. And, like, we could never do it. You find like really small shops and you still can get in and out without someone going, hi, how's your day going? What are you up to? You know, like, what's your favorite ice cream? I mean, they just like you and want to know you. And it feels really fake to me as a, as a Brit. It feels really fake when you're in an environment. But when you're in it long enough, you start to realize this isn't fake. This is just their culture is they're friendly. And it's like, this is really bizarre. And then so you come back to the UK and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, everyone is horrible. Everyone's mean everyone's insular no one wants to talk to you now I can go into a shop I can pick 10 things out I can bump into 4 people as I do it I can go to the cash register they can ring me up and the most I get is like a grunt as they point to the price like that's the most someone talks to me and I'm like this feels very different 
And so it's not just a, a spiritual thing. It's not to say that where you go will have a totally different spiritual atmosphere. It's just that suddenly you're in a different environment. You know, you're not living together in a house that everyone's like on the same page and growing spiritually and passionate about Jesus. Like everything's going to change. And there's going to be a whole host of different um, challenges in that. But ultimately it boils down to how are you going to navigate that and there are people that um, that leave ministry schools that navigate it really well and there are people that leave ministry schools and don't navigate it so well and then they end up taking time to pick themselves back up because they've forgot things or they've not applied things or they've you know found it really challenging um, and so there's there's keys to life that help you navigate this process without falling flat on your face and having to pick yourself up, right? Um, and we all fell flat on our face. I don't know about you guys. I fall flat on my face quite often. Um, but we all fall over, you know, and that's fine. And that's part of the journey is we fall and we pick ourselves back up and we, we learn and we, we develop. There's no shame in falling. Like, you know, you wouldn't point and laugh at a toddler learning to walk, you know, it's just, it's just, it's different. Um, one of the big things that I've found that people struggle with though is spiritually. And so when you're in an environment like Kingsway, there's, there is a very specific spiritual climate. And though we're very different, you might ask us what our theology is on end times or what our views are on hell. And we might have a few different theologies and things like that. that that's very true. On the whole, we have a, a very specific culture that has a very, uh, generally speaking, um, specific view of who God is, that God is good, that he's he looks like Jesus, that he isn't judgmental, that he isn't full of uh, wrath towards you, that he isn't obsessed with your sin. Um, and we have a different view of ourselves as well. We see ourselves as perfect, spotless, righteous, having been transformed into his image, that God sees us as good, that he sees us as righteous, that he's not obsessed with the sin, that he delights in us, that he loves to lavish us with good things. You might find one or two people when you go home that don't see God the same way and don't see themselves the same way. Um, one or two, you know. Um, and that's going to be something you have to choose to navigate and it's going to be something you have to choose to navigate well because um, like it or not, the people back home are the people you're going to be with. Right? So you go back home and you're going to your church. I mean, you, I guess you could leave your church and find another church, but you're always going to find a church with someone that you disagree with. Um like it or not you go back home your family are still your family and they haven't had this intense five month period of time of change uh, your friends probably the same deal right and so it's it's quite a surreal experience um, going through a lot of change at the same time as other people so you guys live together and you're all studying and you're all learning together and you're all uh, growing in your maturity. And so it's actually quite hard to see how much you've grown sometimes, um, especially in a culture that is, is deeply spiritual. Um, and so it's actually when you come out of that culture and you go alongside someone else that you know quite well who hasn't been through the same sort of process, so you suddenly realize, I've moved on a lot. And there was countless people, honestly, when I came back from Bethel, I was like, I don't even know if I can be friends with some of my friends anymore. We're just so different. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if you experienced this, Josh, when you traveled and you came back and you were like, we're just not compatible anymore. Like, you know, you're just, 
you've not changed and I have changed so much or maybe you've changed a lot in ways that I wouldn't have changed in that direction and, and so um, you're going to have all these different dynamics that you have to navigate um, and one of the things I find fascinating is, is whenever I think of this I think of how Paul navigated life um, through this, as we read through the scriptures because Paul constantly found himself on the outside of the church and it's kind of funny um, we maybe don't notice it as we flick through the New Testament but nobody really liked Paul like they didn't want him in the church like he was a good testimony maybe but they didn't particularly like him because he believed differently I mean a few years ago he was killing us all I mean like this is like this is a terrorist right I mean, it would be a good testimony if Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden or something like that had come into church and got saved. That'd be a good testimony. But would you want him looking after your kids, right? <laughs> would you want Osama bin Laden looking after the under fives, <laughs> right? Uh, yay, God, awesome testimony, but also we're kind of scared of this guy, right? Um, also, he's wearing a really bulky jacket, right? No, I'm, you know, I'm joking, but like this would have been how... Paul was kind of seen originally like they were really 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 nervous about the guy it took other people they really trusted to say no 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 no, you can trust this guy he's, he's legit right eventually they kind of let him in but still they're kind of like okay well you can go to the Gentiles like we don't really want you here and when he came back they didn't really do life the way he did it and he got in trouble he would yell at them and they would like get upset and it takes a long time before we see in Peter's letter, he writes and he says, listen, this guy, Paul, what he says seems insane. It is really, really hard to believe, but it's kind of true. So stick with it. Right. There's still like this tension between Paul and the rest of the um, disciples. And you can read it in his theology. His theology is radically different from the non-Pauline uh, letters. You know, James massively different from Paul in a lot of his perspectives. John, a lot more. In fact, John had a very strong impact on Paul and we can read as we read his letters chronologically, Paul shifted drastically towards some kind of Jonine kind of perspectives, but still different perspectives. And so they were all doing life with one another. And I think there's some keys we can find when we look at how Paul navigated life with people that were really, really different. And we can learn a lot for ourselves. Um, and so one of the, the key things that I find hilarious, right, is when Paul first kind of um, uh, got saved, um, he went to church. They were like, yeah, okay, that's fine. You can go to the Gentiles. But he actually took some time out and he, he kind of went off on his own to kind of just be discipled by Jesus, whatever that looks like, right? Who knows? Um, and so he had some space uh, in his kind of like wilderness season of learning. And he came back and he's, he's all about grace, right? He is all about grace, and it's a real tension because it's not exactly how the rest of the disciples see grace, right? They're like, yeah, grace, but we still need people to get circumcised. And we still need people to like not eat meat sacrificed to idols. And we still need people to do this and to do that and to do this. And Paul's like, nah, that's not how I see it, right? And so his grace is so different to how the apostles had seen things. And so they have this conversation and, and they're eventually like, okay, you can go out and preach this message of grace. Go and preach the message of grace to the Gentiles. But we just want you to make sure you're teaching three things, right? We want to make sure you're not uh, allowing any sexual immorality. 
you're not allowing anyone to eat meat sacrificed to idols and I can't remember the third thing off the top of my head but right they've got these like they've still got this little bit of like well there's a few rules we're going to have right and so Paul goes out there and he starts preaching doesn't he and he's coming against so much stuff that they're preaching right the the people back in Jerusalem so when when it talks about remember when Paul's um, preaching and um, some some uh, some of the brethren came and they taught well this is great this is great about grace but you need to get circumcised right this this people these people that came to teach you need to get circumcised that's people that James and Peter have sent from Jerusalem to teach that right so if you don't pick up the tension that's going on here the apostles in Jerusalem have now sent out Paul yeah, yeah you teach that and then they sent people to follow him and make sure that people get circumcised after they get saved and Paul was pissed because he's like, no, you don't need to be circumcised. That's not what being a Christian is. Like, that's what being a Jew is. And this is not Judaism here. This is a whole new thing. And so Paul's, there's tension going on, right? And so he goes on and on. Like, you know, you don't need to be circumcised in, in his letter to the Galatians, right? He says, if anyone teaches you that you need to be circumcised, I hope he cuts his own penis off. That's what he says in Galatians, right? Pretty like intense language, right? But he's, he's saying that. Who's he saying it about? It's not like, you know, Steve the pagan. He's saying it about whoever these brethren were that were sent by James and Peter from Jerusalem to check up on Paul and to make sure that people are getting circumcised and doing the right thing. So there's this real tension going on. But then what I see is, so there is these tensions and there's Paul standing up for what he believes in. But there's other places where Paul makes some really interesting choices. And so remember the message that they, when they sent him, they said, look, no um, sexual immorality, uh, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. And they've got a few little bits and pieces. Well, Paul, in, in his letters to Romans and his letters to the Corinthians, talks about meat sacrificed to idols. And what does he say? It's really interesting. So they're having the debate there. So they're, they're Jewish uh, believers in their midst and they're going, well, should we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Well, I don't think it matters. Well, I think it does matter. And so they're having all these debates. And Paul, in the midst of it, just goes, hey, guys, listen, we know that meat sacrificed to idols doesn't matter. Who cares? Like, we know it has nothing to do with how God relates to us. We know that God isn't somehow like going, oh, no, they eat me sacrificed to idols. I can't talk to them anymore, right? We know that's not how God works. Mm -hmm. But there are some people, they still think it's a big deal. So just don't do it when they're around. That's his his advice. That's his top tip, right? Is he's just like, yeah, just don't do it when they're around, right? It's like, look, we know it's okay to eat meat, but... There's some people, vegans, who get really, really upset when you have, like, a raw piece of steak. So just don't do it when they're around. Like, sneak a piece of meat in the other room or I don't know. Like, right? I mean, that, that's kind of what he's saying. Like, it's kind of silly, right? But that's what he's saying. And it, what's he saying about? He's saying about what the other Christian believers around him are saying. And these people are, like, the apostles, right? These guys hung out with Jesus. Yeah. Like, they're the ones that everyone goes, whoa, look at these guys. And Paul's going, look... Just do it for their sake. They don't know. Right? It's kind of funny. Like, I think that's really, really funny. And yet there's other... So so he, he makes these concessions, doesn't he? He's like, he's like, look, I know it doesn't matter. You know it doesn't matter. But it's going to matter to them. And I think this is what I think of when I think of going into environments where people are not going to believe what you believe. So you might have this understanding of, look, I know we're not under the law. I know it's not about all the 
ticking the boxes on the moral codes. I know I'm allowed to eat bacon. I know I'm allowed to get a tattoo if I need. You know, like, that's, that's okay. You know, I know this isn't about all these like tick, 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 tick. But you kind of think it does. So I probably won't get a tattoo on my forehead and then go to church, right? Probably. Or if it's a really big deal to you that I don't eat bacon, I won't eat bacon around you. I'll eat it all the rest of the time. But then when I'm around you, I'll just eat something else. Um, there's like this wisdom and temperance of, of, of recognizing that people around you are not going to see the same thing the same way. And there's some things that are worth making a stand for. No. Like, I'm not going to allow all these people to get circumcised and think it's about circumcision. Paul takes a stand and goes, no. Other times, Paul stands on a table and yells at Peter because he, he only sits with Jews when the important Jews are around. He'll sit with Gentiles, but when an important Jew comes in, right? Whatever that means to a Christian, an important Jew, right? So, because we're so like, what? Like, that's like, oh, I'll sit with all the the um, homeless people and the drug addicts but when Bill Johnson walks in the room I'll, I'll move over and sit with the good Christians right I mean this is the kind of mentality right and so when other apostles walk in Peter's like oh I better not sit with the Gentiles I'll go sit with the Jews and Paul gets up on a table and starts yelling at Peter in front of everyone so the whole thing of Peter going I want to look good in front of my other apostles really backfires right because now Paul's yelling at him on top of a table like talk about trying to avoid a scene and it really backfiring right because like everyone now knows what's going on and everyone knows what you did and everyone knows you're a big hypocrite and everyone's looking at you and you're going oh crap right it's an awkward moment so there's times where Paul's like no this is it and I'm going to die on this table if I have to that's, that's what I'll do and, but there's other times where he goes look eating meat sacrificed to idols if that's a big deal to them I'm not going to give up being a missionary to the world and saving half the world over that issue just don't do it around them let's move on like that's how much Paul has to say on that topic he says look we know it's stupid I know it's stupid they don't know it's stupid so make a big deal of it if they need it be a big deal that's fine and there's something of a posturing of a heart and so you go into a heavily legalistic environment where they're trying their butts off to please God and to, to get God to love them. And you think, really? Right? Hopefully, after being here for five, six months, you can notice that and just go, really? Seriously? You're like fasting 40 days so God won't be disappointed in you? It's like, really? That's how God's not disappointed in you? Based on how long you don't eat? Right? Or you're crying and wailing because you missed a quiet time in the morning and you think somehow that's going to mean that God's not as impressed with you and happy with you really like that that's you know you look at that from a external perspective and you think really that's how your relationship with God works based on how often and how much of the Bible you read based on how often you go to church or something but there's going to be an element of like that's really important to some people Maybe not in the church that you're from. I don't know the church you're from, but I'm just saying there's going to be some differences, right? And so you go to a church and they're obsessed with people going every week. If you don't go every week, you are a bad Christian, right? If you don't go every week, you're getting texts. Hey, are you okay? Like, we're just prayerfully worried about you, brother, right? Or whatever it is, right? And you go, I know it's not the end of the world if I miss a Sunday service. Like, it's not a big deal. Or if my favorite band's in town and they are only playing on Sunday morning, I can't imagine what scenario that would be, um, right? But... 
I don't know. It's not a big deal. If I go and listen to my band play, right? If I go to a festival for the day instead of going to church, I know that's not going to be a big deal. I know God's in the field with me just as much as he'd be in church. But if it's really going to hurt my family, my friends, my pastor, my the people around me, equally, I know it's not a big deal, right? So I'll just go. And I think there's something about an empowering of grace that allows you to do... Um, it allows you to walk in a legalistic world without any of the legalistic weight, without any of the guilt, without any of the shame. And actually, it's a powerful witness because people that are trying their butts off to please God and you walk in and do all the things they keep failing to do and you do it perfectly because you don't care. Like that speaks powerfully about grace and it demonstrates the power of grace massively. Right. So an example would be, right, Paul, not a fan of circumcision, right? I mean, to the point where he's telling people to cut their own penises off, right? I mean, like, he's pretty mad about the whole topic. So not a big fan, right? But then he goes back to meet with the the elders, the, the apostles in Jerusalem, because he has to keep going back and forward to clear things up because it's constantly a mess between different beliefs. Um, and so he goes, right, I'm going to go back to um, Jerusalem, talk to the apostles. And he thinks like to have some of my homies with me right because hey if you're the only one that believes a certain way and you're in a group of people that all hate the way you think you want some of your friends with you right I mean that's just common sense um, I sometimes go on ministry trips and I'm like this place I've been before I'll have some friends come with me <laughs> like I've definitely had experiences like that and so he goes hey Timothy come along and Timothy's like yeah great I'd love to go on a ministry trip with Paul I, I wonderful right so they, they get out from Ephesus and they head off to Jerusalem Paul turns to Timothy and goes, Hey, Timothy, there's one thing I forgot to mention, though. There's one requirement for the ministry trip. You're going to have to get circumcised. Because Timothy isn't circumcised. And they go to Jerusalem, where they really, really think you need to be circumcised. Are people going to say? Well, this is what I, my question is. What's the process? Like, when you walk into a meeting, do they go, all right, and then you lift your robe, and they're like, all right, and you come. Right? I, I don't know, like, right? I mean, or is it you just walk with a limp? Or, I don't know. Um, but they'll certainly know that Timothy just got a circumcision because he's going to be walking with an interesting oh, gait. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, right? So somehow in this culture, there's a, there's a way of knowing. Let's not ask too many questions about that one because um, that just seems weird. Um, but somehow... Paul's like, hey, Timothy, you're going to have to get circumcised, right? Now, if you were Timothy, right, and you've been mentored by Paul, you know his views on circumcision, right? What are you, What is your response when Paul says, hey, Timothy, I think you should get circumcised? Good job. Like, you're insane. I'm not doing that. You, you don't even believe in circumcision. Why the heck do I have to? Right? Because you, you're protecting, Right? Because you've got something to lose, quite literally, right? So you're not excited. I don't think any 25, 30-year-old man is excited about going through that procedure, right? With no anesthetic. With no anesthetic, right? With a sharp stone. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it was probably better than that, but not much. Um, you know, I don't think many people were lined up to do that, right? Except in Jerusalem, where they were making it an absolute mandatory fact. If you become a Christian, then you've got to do this, Right? Which is maybe why Paul had better conversion rates. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, so Paul turns around to Timothy, though, and seriously says, hey, Timothy, you've got to get circumcised. I can imagine this intense conversation, right? I can imagine Timothy, like, flicking through some of the letters they've got and going, hey, Paul, remember when you wrote to Galatia and you said, if any...
anyone tells you to uh, get circumcised, cut their penis off, right? Hope they get their penis cut off. He's like, ah, uh, Paul, remember that conversation? Right? You were really, really into like the no circumcision thing. What's changed, right? What's changed? What's changed? Paul wants to influence the people in Jerusalem. He wants them to get the gospel. And if he has to be legalistic to help them get the gospel, who cares? It's not legalism to him. He knows that Timothy doesn't believe it's going to save him. Timothy knows he's saved. And Paul knows he's saved. And God knows he's saved. So they're good. Nothing's changed for them, except for Timothy. Uh, A little bit's changed for him. But spiritually, nothing. This is irrelevant. This is solely for the benefit of someone else. And so Timothy gets circumcised. And they go to Jerusalem. And it's a significant impact on the Jerusalem church and on the worldwide church. Because Jerusalem's having a very negative effect on the worldwide church in many ways. Because they're sending out people to um, to add legalism and add rules and regulations to the church that's thriving outside of Jerusalem. In the Gentile world, in this pagan world. And so this is significant. This little thing for Timothy... <laughs> had a very significant impact because it allowed Paul to have a bigger impact with his brothers in Jerusalem, sitting down and having a discussion with them, talking about grace, talking about the way he saw the gospel and impacting the way they saw the gospel to the point where Peter later is writing, hey guys, we struggled with this message too, but he's really right. You've got to listen to the teachings of Paul. And so there's something powerful about walking with people where they are and respecting that God has everyone on a journey and when it's not important to you and you know it's not a big deal it's still important to someone else and you get the privilege of loving them where they are but actually also subversively showing them the fallacy of their way right you get to subversively show them that it doesn't matter why and how? Because you're doing it easier without trying and not even acknowledging that it's important. Right? So while all the Jerusalem uh, men are sitting there thinking, man, I wonder what bacon tastes like. I bet it's good. It's got to be good. It's banned. It's got to be good, right? And Paul's going, I don't care. I won't eat bacon if that's what's important to you. It's, it doesn't matter to me. Because it's that I'm living from legalism, which is inflaming sin, which is making me want to do it. Versus, I am living from grace. I don't care about what's right and wrong. I'm just living with what Jesus is leading me to. And suddenly you're living a better, holier, right, more righteous life than the people that are struggling. And so, while it's really tempting to jump up on that table and start yelling at Peter, or it's really tempting to tell people that you hope they cut their penises off, and there's maybe a time for those situations, um, and... <laughs> I think the healthier model is going, hey, if that really matters to that person, okay, that's fine. Because you'll have so much more of an impact coming in and loving people where they are than going in with the finger pointed. Right? It's the whole analogy of you can point the finger or you can offer a helping hand. And when you go in with grace and you live the life that people want, I mean, this is ultimately what it's like, right? I mean, this is what why Paul was so powerful and communicate he's living the life that people want wow he's walking on you know 
clouds. I mean, the guy is like he's getting stoned and like you know and and beaten and killed, and he's still like, hey, everybody, I'm full of joy, I'm full of life, I'm full of excitement, and you know, God's good, and everyone's going, dude, he's got a crap life, and he's so happy. Wish I was like that, right? Jesus, the guy is like a magnet to people because they go, wow, I wish I was like him, right? No one's looking at Pharisees going, wow, I wish I was like them. Maybe on a legalistic level they are going, oh, wow, yes, I wish I was as holy as a Pharisee. But the problem is Pharisees aren't holy, right? They keep getting found out in the next scandal, right? Happens in the church too, right? Every super duper pastor that's whatever, they'll be the next person on the next scandal. I mean, like, that's not what you're you're going after. You're going after this life well lived. And I think there's this beauty of living that life well without having to constantly be at war with people around you that aren't living the way that you see things should be, right? So you go back into a church that isn't fully, um, because Kingsway fully understands grace, but you know, whatever, you know what I mean. But, but, but they're not walking in grace in the same way that you do. That's okay. Like, that is okay. Everyone's on their own journey. God will get them there. It's the Holy Spirit that leads them to truth. It's not necessarily you either. Right? He might use you, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to lead people into truth, not you. Your job is not to lead people into truth. Your job is to love. And so, like we were talking about when we were talking about outreach, and we're talking about how can I be a success, and we said, you can try and heal people, but you can't guarantee you'll be a success in that, because you can't guarantee the outcome. You can try and give the most life-changing prophetic word, but you can't guarantee the outcome. You can try and raise the dead or have some sort of massive miracle, but you can't guarantee that outcome. The only thing that you are in charge of that God has called you to do is to love the person in front of you. And so my hope is that in loving the person in front of you, you'll see people raised from the dead and healed and you'll give prophetic words and you'll be the most encouraging person in the room and all these other amazing facets of what it is to be a Christian. But that your priority is, I'm going to love the person in front of me. I'm going to give my life again and again and again for the other. I'm going to constantly look for Jesus in the person in front of me. Because when you do that, it's so much harder to be judgmental. It's so much harder to create an us and them. And it's, it's something I see again and again and again with people that have lived in a ministry school whether it's here at Kingsway, some of our iDestiny graduates, or it's Bethel or Toronto or Morningstar or whatever ministry school you like, um, again and again and again, people leave and they have this us-them mentality. Oh, well, at Bethel we do it this way. Oh, well, Kingsway isn't like that. You're not like me. Your group is different to me. We're constantly trying to create division rather than to create unity. And I don't see that as being helpful or healthy. And this is what Paul is consistently doing, right? Paul is having his good friend and his disciple get circumcised when he knows it means nothing spiritually. And it's going to be a horrible, painful experience, right? Um, Paul and Timothy are willing to do that to bring unity rather than to distance himself from the church in Jerusalem. They don't they don't no desire to distance themselves. They have desire to bring unity, to bring them together, to hopefully influence and, and to have an effect on the way that the church is working in a more global sense. And it works. To some degree, I don't know. 
church itself full of legalism so who knows um, but I want you to have that constantly in your mind how am I going to posture myself to bring people in rather than push people out when you meet someone instead of thinking how are they different you're thinking how are they the same instead of thinking what are they wrong about you're thinking what are they right about instead of thinking where have they totally missed God you're thinking where's God working in their life and how can I be a part of that And if you humble yourself to recognize that there's not a person on this planet that can't teach you something, right? There just isn't a person on this planet that you will find that cannot teach you something, including like kids. I mean, like just everyone on this planet has something that you don't have. And if you posture yourself to go, I'm going to remain humble, I'm going to serve, I'm going to love, you will grow and learn so much more. Um, because the, the, the danger of creating these us and thems is that while Kingsway is an amazing place, it's insular, it's bubbled as well. And we probably, on the grand scheme of things, are focusing on certain aspects of God and certain things that other churches aren't focused on. They're focused on something else. And so while we might be really good at um, going out into the... Into uh, Canal Street and, and, and showing love to people of an LGBT persuasion and, and helping them know that they're loved and accepted or whatever other churches might be really bad at that right totally not their agenda or page or whatever they're just not going to do it but you know what they might be so much better at helping the homeless because I don't know much that we do as Kingsway that specifically is working towards helping them. I guess you guys do some outreach and and um, Barnabas and you know so we do do stuff but you know I, I know other churches that have a seven night a week where they have food banks where they're giving away food and they're, I know churches that have actual wings in their church where they have like bedrooms to house homeless people I mean do you know what I mean so like there's something I can learn from people like that big time or as we're focused on grace um, uh, we might not be as focused on Humility, or something like that, right? And another church might be totally off the page on grace and meat, might be super legalistic, but they do have something of humility that I can learn from them. And so, again, instead of looking for um, where don't they get it? Where are they different from me and how do they not get it? You might be able to go, hey, where are they different from me in a way that I want to learn? What can I gain from this person? What could I learn if I humble myself? And instead of making our differences a dividing fact, I can actually make our differences something that pulls me in. And I tell you what as well, there's something about when you humble yourself and you ask, uh, when you position yourself to receive from someone else, they open up themselves to receive from you. And I think one of the best ways you can have an impact in people's lives is to allow them to impact yours allow them to feed into yours to be humble enough and vulnerable enough around people it will immediately create and and foster an environment of more vulnerability Um, so yeah I mean there's so many different aspects of how this plays out but I think this is one of the biggest ones because again and again and again I see people that leave environments like ministry schools and they go home and they go I can't be a part of this church or I can't be in the same 
youth group or young adults group or whatever or uh, I, uh, these friends they're just so wrong they're so legalistic I can't be friends with them anymore and do you know what absolutely please find friends that are on the same page as you that burn for the same things that you know like I, I'm not saying don't have that I'm not saying intentionally go like you know join the church of Satan so you can you know connect with other people and lead, you know I'm not saying that I'm saying be where you need to be if you need to leave your church and go to another church that's fine as well I, I don't I'm not that's just not what I'm talking about what I'm talking about is don't leave for stupid reasons don't isolate yourself for stupid reasons because a lot of people that leave their churches or, or remove themselves from their friendship circles they don't go to something else and then they let left on their own and the us them thing gets really lonely when you're on your own and it actually starts a bit of a downward spiral thing as well you get more and more and more isolated and they become more and more and more the them um, but be looking for how you can include be looking be, be looking for how you can expand your your beliefs your views to include the people around you not to exclude them um, that'd be one of my number number one tips do you know um, I'm trying to think of this as public knowledge I think this is public knowledge. Um, there was a, a research study done um, at Bethel School. Um, so they've got a school, I think there's been about 14,000 people have gone through their school now. Um, and they did a study on a, a big group of them, I think it's about a thousand of their past students over the spectrum of the last 10 years. So like quite a few students that were just graduated a year all the way to people that graduated 10 years ago. Um, and so they did this study and one of the, the things that they found, um, now whether this is correlation or causation is debatable, but one of the things they found was that the people that were doing the best were people that got rooted into a church. And what's really interesting is it wasn't necessarily a church that believed like Bethel. That was kind of irrelevant. So how well you were doing was not related to how connected to Bethel you were. How well you were doing was not connected to, was my church like Bethel? How well you were doing was connected to, am I a part of a community of people that love Jesus? And so don't alienate yourself from people that love Jesus just because they love him differently to you or because it annoys you that people are legalistic or this or that or whatever, judgmental. Or um, There's so much benefit to be found from doing life in community and and if there's anything we've taught you while you were here in Kingsway it's that community is everything like we're all about community um, there's, there's, there's not an ounce in the New Testament of a me and I on my own it's, it's all community it's all community God does it for all he includes all he wants us to be a family we are known by our love for one another um, it's 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 huge that you, you do that because there's no such thing as an isolated Christian. Um, it, it, it doesn't exist um, to be controversial, but um, Jesus' benchmark for are you are you a Christian? Are you are you known by me and my Father? Is did you love the person in front of you? You can't do that if you're on your own. John's benchmark is do you love your brother or your sister you can't do that if you're on your own that's how much you love God how you love the person in front of you and sometimes the person in front of you is an ass right it's not 
do you love the person in front of you that you agree with entirely and you get on really well with? It's a, do you love the person in front of you? Period. And you don't get to pick that at times. Um, we'll stop there anyway. I just want to throw out some thoughts, but yeah, just be considering that as you go home. Like, are, are you... Are you tending towards exclusive thoughts or inclusive thoughts? Um, because that's the heart of this house is inclusivity. It's about bringing people in. It's about expanding um, our ourselves, our view of God to include everyone. And that's what Jesus did, right? When people came and it was like, oh, you're outside? Well, that's fine. I'll just expand the circle and now you're inside. No problem. Jesus did not have a problem expanding to include some pretty crazy characters, Samaritans, Romans. I mean, like people that were the epitome of sin, of evil. He's expanding the circle and going, oh, they're in our group. You don't get to hate them. They're in our group. Yeah, stop there. Any thoughts, questions? That's great. It's interesting how I was reading 1 Daniel, which is, you know, has a slightly different take, maybe depending on how you interpret it. But you look at the life of Daniel, it's stunning. I mean, this is a guy who's... So the backdrop for Daniel Uh is Babylon have come in to Uh Jerusalem. They've killed one third of them. Right. One third of the Jews are dead. Yeah. They're dead now, right? So one third of everyone that Daniel has known is dead. Right. Now what they do is they leave one third in Jerusalem and they bring a whole bunch of Babylonians into Israel so they can breed with the Jews and ruin their purity, right? right? So now there's no like pure Jews because they're being interbred and all that. And they take the remaining third out and they bring them over into the Babylonian Empire. Right. And they're also dispersed. They're given out as wives. Their husbands are killed and things like that. I mean, crazy. And... Some of them are selected, so Daniel and his friends are selected to serve in the king's court, right? But this is a guy who's serving in the king's court, um, who his mother and father have been murdered. Most of the people he knows have been murdered. Everything he stands for has been, like, desecrated. The sanctity of Jerusalem, the temple's been destroyed. And his response is, I'm going to serve this king. Mm-hmm. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to respect him. I'm, I'm going to keep to my values, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I am going to honor this person. I'm going to respect him. Yeah. And you follow the, the, the book of Daniel. I don't want to be a spoiler for you, um, but he serves four different kings. And the final king he serves um, is a guy called King Cyrus, right? Now, King Cyrus, um, one, of the, one, one text we have, uh, it, something quite fascinating. There's this um, uh, codex, um, which I think is called the... Cyrus Scrolls or the Codex of Cyrus or I can't remember exactly what it is but it's the first known document for human rights the first known document dictating that humans should have some rights wow. and this is a guy who Daniel served and he served relentlessly yeah. and you just go what kind of impact does serving quote unquote the enemy humbling yourself, loving the other, loving your enemy as you love yourself. Mm-hmm. What kind of impact does that have? Because Cyrus wrote that and it became, that actually is what 
the foundation for the UN's human rights codes go all the way back to that. Wow. And not only that, Cyrus is the one who lets Jerusalem free. He lets the Israel people free and goes back and he pays to rebuild their temple. The Babylonians fork the bill. But that's how much of an impact Daniel and his experience of Jewish people have had on him. It's absolutely mental. So there's something powerful about serving other people. And I'm not saying that's the main point of Daniel or the purpose, but it's in there. You know, this powerful, powerful message of a guy who had every reason to be pissed off and instead chose to humble himself and serve. And it's and, and stuff he says, you know, what's his name? Nebuchadnezzar gets turned into a, was it a cat? Well, a creature. With wild hair creature. Claws so, I mean, the king gets turned into a wild animal, right? And, and Daniel goes up to him when he's given this word, right? So he's, he's explaining, hey, God's going to turn you into an animal because you're prideful. And what is Daniel saying? He's saying, I wish it wasn't so. I wish, 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 my, my lord and king, you wouldn't be turned into an animal. That's his heart for this guy who God is judging and is the enemy of everything Daniel stands for. And Daniel goes, I so hope that you wouldn't have to suffer this judgment. Yeah. And it's like, what a heart. Like, I mean, it's, it's stunning. It um, and it goes against so much of how we think and do life as believers at times. Thank you for listening to the Our Destiny podcast. Yeah. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.